ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with Adam Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. And the weather is getting cold out there, but it's nice and cozy inside. It's actually a little cool. It's actually very comfortable. I'm I like the temperature we have the uh, studio set at. It's really amazing. Um, but we're looking for even colder weather. And next week, I hope to be up north with my children. And I watch the weather up north, and it's going to be cold. Maybe Wednesday, Thursday, it's going to be really cold. Friday, Shabbos, nice weather. Not sure exactly where, where we're going to be yet. We're fin- finalizing the details of where we'll stay. We got our snowmobiles ready for us. We got our... Tubing tickets ready for us. So we got lots of exciting family time planned. Nothing like family time. The midwinter break is coming up. Uh, I know they, I think they call it Yeshiva Week. Everybody runs down to Florida. I think one of my sons is running down because I have a son who lives there. So a different sibling is going down and they'll enjoy time with him and they'll enjoy the nice warm weather. And I will enjoy the freezing weather, and uh, everyone should do what makes them happy. But most important, with these midwinter breaks coming up for a lot of schools and a lot of children, make sure you take time to enjoy your children. You know, I try to write that a lot of times in my newsletters. When there's breaks, when there's vacations, when there's holidays, we're all so busy. But you know, when you have an opportunity for vacation, take the opportunity. Enjoy your children. You work so hard. You work so that you can send them to the schools you want to send them to. You can buy them the things they need. You get them their clothes. You feed them. You do laundry. You're cleaning. But when you have a chance for vacation, enjoy your kids. We bring up a whole bunch of games. And I play games with the kids. We have really, really a great time. I have a feeling I'm going to be playing a lot of chess because my fifth grader plays me at least once a week and he is desperate to beat me. Now, I'm not saying I'm mean or anything that I I don't let him win, but he doesn't want that. So, and I'm not saying I'm a great chess player by any stretch of the imagination and he's learning and trying and I teach him some of the things and he came close last week. Accidentally, he did not come close. Um, I think I had like two rooks and a horse and pawns and I I just made a mistake and I stalemated him and he was so happy he was like okay I'm getting closer I didn't lose with a stalemate you know he had one other pawn left like I, I, I won but I didn't win but it doesn't matter but it's important most most important that we remember to enjoy time with our children let them have fun let them 
whatever you're planning on doing, it's so, so important. They remember, they don't remember all the lessons you taught them, I, I, I assure you. They don't remember every great speech you gave them, and they don't remember how you studied for all their tests, or studied with them for their tests, whichever way it is. But they do remember when you put aside time as you pay money to send them to camp. That's not the memories. It's nice. It's beautiful. But when you can spend private time with them and do something fun with them, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. I'm not describing big money things. It's true I'm going snowmobiling with them. Truth is, I have a friend who gives me the snowmobiles. Um, a lot of times, I don't even have to rent a house. They give me a farmhouse. Um, how much do you think tubing tickets cost already? You know what I mean? What, $20 a ticket? $30 a ticket? Like, who cares? But it's not the money. It's the time you give your children. So important, which is really an amazing lead-in to this week's story portion. This week's story portion is Yisro is Jethro. There are three parts to this week's story portion. We have Yisro coming and converting and joining the Jewish people and bringing Moses' wife and children with him. We have the, the middle part of the Torah portion, which is the week of preparation leading up to receiving the Ten Commandments, God coming down on Mount Sinai. And then we have the last part of the Torah portion, which, which is the Ten Commandments and God coming down and, and Moses getting the Torah. We want to talk about the middle part. So, when Moses comes down to talk, you know, it's, we arrive on the first day of Sivan, that's unpacking day. And then every day, Moses is going to go up the mountain, and God will talk to him. Moses will come down the mountain. He'll talk to the Jewish people. He'll tell the people what God wants, what God said. He will wait for the people's response. And the next day, he'll go up again and come down. Moses only goes up, according to Rashi, once a day. He goes up once a day, down once a day. So any conversations are always the next day. So after he gives the message and he gets the response, he goes back. Um, now, Moses actually gives God the response to the Jewish people, not because God didn't know what the Jewish people answered. That's ridiculous. But it is a lesson that if I ask you to deliver a message for me and you think the message, or you know the message was already delivered, but you didn't do your job, I asked you to deliver a message, even if the person hears about it. doesn't matter. If you said you're going to deliver a message, you delivered a message. So Moses has to deliver the message, what the Jewish people said to Moses to give over to God. That's why. But it doesn't mean God didn't know. Of course he knew, right? So now, Moses comes down and God says to Moses, a very interesting verse, he says, speak to the base Yaakov and speak strongly to the house of Israel. So the base Yaakov Rashi says, referring to the women. Now, it's Moses should speak to the women first and then to the men, almost as if it's being done separately. Now, this is debatable. We don't really find in the Torah that Moses speaks separately to the women and then to the men. Um, again, the verse, but the way Rashi learns, Moses spoke to the women first, or at least it had to be clear that there was a message going out to the women special. Why does God want Moses to speak to the women first, that's because it is our mothers who inculcate, which is a great word, and they influence children. The children are the guarantors. God says to the Jewish people, he says, eh, what's the deal? What's the guarantee 
that uh, the Jewish people will keep my Torah. What, what are we going to offer God? Right? What, what can we offer that God will say, okay, it's a good deal. So God accepts our children. In other words, our children are our guarantee to God that we will keep the Torah, we will keep God's commands, we will follow God's direction. But it is the women that make this happen. What does that mean? So I say this every year over to my class. They're third graders. It's really, they're, they're sort of borderline. Um, and it's not 100%. It doesn't work in every family this way. But what I'm about to tell you is the best way that it should work. You know, to my family, it works this way amazing. Um, I'm like the, I, I could be the poster child, or my wife could be the poster mother um, for this lesson. What is this lesson? Child is born. Who raises the child? Generally speaking, yes, I understand fathers also help. Don't get me wrong. But it's really the mothers. The mother's the one waking up at night. The mother's the one feeding the child. The mother's cleaning most of the diapers. I also clean diapers. It's true. But overall, um, if we were at the count, which we don't in my house, because uh, then I would lose by about 43,000, um, the mother's changing the diaper. The mother's feeding the children. Who's, who's making supper? Who's making the kids' lunches? Who's making them breakfast? Who's making sure they're ready for school? Um, who is making chocolate chip cookies when they want to nash? Who's doing the laundry? Who's buying their clothes? All the stuff inside the house is really being run by the mother. Now, it is true. Um, my children get a lot of my time. Even though I know we said at the beginning of the show that you have to give your children time, but there's two different kinds of time. There's my average evening where I am studying with my children. But a lot of that studying is I'm doing your homework. I'm helping you understand the lesson. You did get it. You didn't get it. I'm studying. We do something extra because they want to win prizes for stuff. So it's true I'm giving them time. But that time is a is a is more of a school type of time of, uh, of learning, which is beautiful and they appreciate it and they want it. But it doesn't come close to playing a game of Catan or, or Ticket to Ride or, or Chess or, or Labyrinth or um, really we should look for a new game. But I, I think we have a bunch of games. The kids are pretty happy that work whether you're in 5th grade, 7th grade, ninth grade, or 11th grade. Oh, those are the ages of my children. Hmm. How do you like that? In any case, but when the children are younger, I'm not the one they're talking to. Now, by the way, even when they're married, I'm not the one they're talking to. But it is the mothers that create the home environment. They are the ones that will help um, lead, aim their children in what's important. When the mother is the one that she's taking care of the children, if a child is sick and she's the one feeding them and she's the one making sure they're okay, and it's true sometimes I take the kids to the doctor, it's true. But overall... It is the mother in my family um, who's taking care of the children. She's the warm one. She's taking care. She's putting them in bed. Of course, when they don't behave, then, oh, your father's going to take care of you, right? It's a little bit of a setup, right? As they can be all warm and fluffy, but when they need someone to come down and say, enough playing around, get into bed, <laughs> I'm going to call your father, which is normal 
that's the way it was always set up. That's the way it should be set up. Again, it's not perfect. It doesn't work for everybody. For some people, the father should be doing it because the mother could be too tough. But overall, it is the mother. The mother is the one that has that love. And that's the reason, by the way, why uh, the kids get married. So who do you think they're calling with all their questions? They're not calling me. What do I do about this? I want to talk about this. Uh, I need this. How should I act with my children? How should I raise my children? What should I do? They're calling the mother. So the mother's job is so important. It is it is the foundation of the Jewish home. If God wants the children to be the guarantors, if the mother is not the one putting into her children the beauty and the love of a Torah religious life, by the time my children are ready to study with me, fourth grade, fifth grade, if they don't have inside of them, inbuilt, if that's a real word, that they should go ahead and want to study and that they should want to be religious, it's not happening. It's just not happening. And even those children that studying doesn't go well for them. So who's the one that's going to keep them connected? The father's lost. (laughs) You don't know how to study. You don't know how to read. You don't know how to write. I can't deal with you. The mother is the one that makes life beautiful. She becomes their anchor, which is, by the way, there's verses about this. The mother's sort of in the house, and her branches, I think it's olive branches and grapevines, go out of the house and, and holds on to her children. But the mother is the anchor. So Moses is told by God, you got to go talk to the mothers first. It is most important that the mothers recognize how important, how basic, how foundational, again, if that's a real word, is their job. And if they don't understand it and they think they're not important, then we won't have those children who are the guarantors to make sure that Torah doesn't disappear. Yes, of course, who are the accolades going to? These great rabbis writing great books and giving great speeches and being great leaders. But if their mothers didn't take care of them when they were little and give them the drive and the desire to get there, it's not happening. It's just not happening. I told my class, one of my sons um, is married already, so he made a, was a siyam, and as he completed the entire Talmud. And it's interesting, for in my family, we try to finish a lot of tractates, and we make these siyumims, these parties, at the completion of a tractate, and, but we don't make a big deal about it. In other words, we make a big deal, but the big deal could be a chocolate cake. The big deal could be a potato kugel. If a child wants a special supper, let it be a special supper. So this child liked to make the party with one of the big rabbis in town. So we'd have a, we could go to his sukkah, we could go to his lecture room when I was there and a few other people. We don't need a big crowd. There'd be a potato kugel and a chocolate cake, and he would finish the tractate and very beautiful and get out. Anyways, when this child finished the whole Talmud, so one of the rabbis of the school sends a message home and says, tell your mother that she cannot just make a chocolate cake and a potato kugel. She is going to make a full-fledged meal, a full-fledged party for the entire post-high school. 
So I don't know, 50, 60 guys, and she did. Little challah rolls. They were big, actually. And a yummy, delicious uh, vegetable soup with meat in it. And roast. And there probably was potato kugel. And there probably was chocolate cake. And there were speeches. It was beautiful. But who do you think put together? In other words, when my son's going to look back and say, wow, we had a whole party, who does he look back to say who made the party? He doesn't say my father made the party, even though I did study many of those track dates with him. He says my mother made the party. My mother really appreciated that I was able to complete the Talmud. So there you have Moses' message to mothers. When your children are going to accomplish, they're going to turn around and say, Ma, it's all because of you. You really showed me how much you appreciated. They don't say it about the fathers, and there's a reason they don't say it about the fathers. Even though we appreciate, but we're not good at making meals or a chocolate cake or a potato kugel or anything to show how we appreciate. That's the lesson in this week's Torah portion. You know, there was a, I think it was a, um, a lottery ad years ago where the son is talking about, or daughter, is said, when I win the lottery, I will buy my mother a house because she did this for me and she changed my diapers and she did my laundry and she made me breakfast and she bought me my clothes. And, and the child is talking about all the wonderful things they're going to buy for their mother because of all the things their mother did for them when they were growing up. No mention about how the father paid for all the stuff or how the father may have been working all day long. It's the mother's. And there's a reason for it. And we should appreciate our mothers. And we should thank them for raising us and keeping us healthy um, mentally, physically, emotionally. But that's what the Torah wants, right? We want to make sure the mothers clearly understand their position. Okay. And I know I don't have as much time as I want, but uh, let's talk. So... God tells us, the Jewish people sent a message to Moses. We, through Moses, we want, to, we want God to give the Torah directly to us. We don't want you, Moses, just talking to God and telling us what God said. We want God to talk to us, which worked a little bit. In other words, God did come down, and he talked to us, and we survived through about two of the first, the first two commandments. Afterwards, we couldn't handle it anymore. And we said, Moses, we tried, and you get the rest of the Torah for us. And Moses says, you think God didn't know you couldn't handle it? He, of course he understood you couldn't handle it, but you asked for it. And you, you are now special. The fact that God spoke to you will now be part of who and what you are. You'll, you will want to serve God because of how God made you special. Okay, but let's, we're going to back up on that. Anyways, so God tells Moses he got to make boundaries for the mountain because the people have to know they're not allowed to climb up on the mountain because God's presence is going to come down in such a way that will allow um, God to talk to the Jewish people. Then the mountain becomes holy. Now, the mountain will only be holy when God is there. God's presence leaves. That holiness is over. But as long as God's presence is there, you are not allowed up on the mountain. If you go up on the mountain, you um, will deserve a death penalty. 
And God doesn't want people dying to become holy. This is a very important thought. Right? In other words, people naturally want holiness. They gravitate towards some type of spirituality. That's why a lot of cults are so successful. Because there's a lot of people out there that feel so empty that anything that will fill them up, and by the way, that's the reason for drugs, that's the reason for alcohol. If the person cannot fill himself up spiritually, he's going to have to find something else. That is our nature. And I do believe the 12-step program um, has that figured out. Um, but in any case, so God's saying, I do not want you to die for extra spirituality. I want you to live with spirituality. Right? Now, what's interesting is the Jewish people said God he had, he had Moses write the Torah up to this point. So you have the book of, uh, of uh, Genesis and the book of Exodus up to this week's Torah portion. And Moses reads it over to the Jewish people, and they accept, and they say, we will do, and we will hear the famous Nas of Nishma. We accept it. So the, the famous question becomes, when we receive the Torah in the morning, when we receive the Torah, it says God picked up the mountain, held it over us like a barrel, and, um, and said, if you accept the Torah, fine. And if you don't accept the Torah, I'm just uh, dropping this mountain on your head. It's a little strange, because we already said we want it. We said, Nas Mishra, we said, God, we want the Torah. We even got special crowns because of it. It's these spiritual, whatever they were, these double crowns of spirituality. Well, again, I don't know exactly what it was. We, we don't know. But whatever it was, um, why did God have to force us? So there's multiple answers to this. When we saw this new level of spirituality, when God's presence came down, that was frightening. That level of spirituality of what we had actually accepted upon ourselves was frightening. So God had to make sure we weren't trying to back out. Others say we, we accepted the written law because at least we knew what we were getting. The oral law with the rabbis, maybe there's no end. And if there's no end, we're afraid what they're going to do. Till the Purim story with Mordechai and Esther, where we saw that anything the rabbis do is for our benefit, there we willingly accepted not only the, the written law, we also accepted the oral law. Um, there's a morale the morale says that everyone has to understand you're accepting the Torah. But it's not like accepting a job. So I accepted this new position. And in six months from now, I want out. There's no backsies. So God had to force us to make it very clear that once we accept the Torah, we do not get to back, we do not get to back up and say, you know what, it was, good. It was a good ride, but uh, I'm done. So um, so that's why the Torah had to be uh, raised over our head. So I barely have two minutes left, and there's so many things I wanted to talk about, but uh, one of the Ten Commandments is honoring parents. We spent so much time at the beginning of the show talking about how important the role of a mother is, and one of the Ten Commandments is honoring your father and your mother. So um, I saw a couple stories recently, and uh, we'll see if I have time for at least this first one. So there was a, a famous Rabbi Mendelovitz. This Rabbi Mendelovitz was one of the famous refuseniks. A refusenik meant in Russia that they wanted all citizens to basically follow the religion of communism. 
And to be a religious Jew meant you obviously did not care about communism. And they made life miserable for anybody who tried to stay religious. And he was one of the famous refuseniks. And the KGB made life miserable. And eventually, anybody who was a refusenik, it was like almost impossible, um, that if you tried to do anything religious, eventually you're going to be thrown in jail. The gulag, whatever it was. And the more the KGB tried to make this Raymond Lovitz's life miserable, the more stubborn he became. So he wanted to wear a yarmulke. We talked some stories about yarmulkes last week, uh, a skull cap. And, of course, they wouldn't give him one, but he did have a handkerchief. So he sort of tied it onto his head. It probably looks silly, but he, oh, man. And this story we are going to have to do next time we are here because the music is playing. And, of course, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. You know, of course, I can't do it without you. Thank you, of course, to our, all our wonderful sponsor listeners. Thank you to the production team. We have David and Andy in the back. And we have less than food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.